Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I, I, I thank God that we, we serve, we worship, we get to live with a God that's real. How about you? You glad of that? I am. And, and, and I want to take a moment and just praise God for, for verses like the one that I'm about to read. We just sang a song that's very uh, much from this verse. Um, I, I thank God for special verses that kind of stick in our heart and in our mind and they come to our remembrance on days when times are tough when when I one day on days when I struggle or when I seem to be down God has a way of bringing verses like this one back to your memory and my memory and you know we, we all have those down days don't we we all, all have those days when we struggle a little bit and and when things get tough and I thank God for his word because it can lift up our spirit and because his promises can be of great encouragement to us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is, is a special nugget, a special verse of scripture where Paul writes, he said, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back Again, the good news is that God is at work in you and he is at work within me. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen? It really is. You know, God began the work of your salvation with a miracle, a miracle of your justification. That's when he forgave you of all the sin that you'd ever committed in your life. And that's when he gave you a new life in Christ that made you right with him. When you put your trust in Jesus... You were instantly justified, and that meant that God no longer looked at you as a person covered in sin, but now he looks at you, at you as just as if you had never sinned one time in your life, and that is a beautiful thing. Folks, that's when your salvation started, but it didn't end there. It didn't end there. You see, God continues the work of your salvation through that lifelong process of your sanctification. Sanctification, that is him doing his work in you to make you who he wants you to be. And he's doing that right now. He's been doing that all week in your life. He has a goal to make us holy. Holy like him, without sin, without suffering the consequences of sin. God is committed to that process even when we're not. You know, even when we, uh, we dig our heels in, we rebel against God... God is committed, committed to finishing the task that he started. God is committed to the process of our sanctification so much that he will discipline us with those perfecting situations and problems that can come into our life. He, he will finish what he started. I promise you that. So let me just warn you, you can make it light on yourself or hard on yourself, but God's got a work that he's doing in your life, and he's going to continue to do that. Uh, God promises to complete that salvation process. You know, eternal life in heaven with him is the final outcome of our salvation. And the Bible literally calls that glorification. That happens, it's going to happen when Jesus comes back to gather all of us into heaven as his people. Heaven is going to be that eternal home where we're going to be with God forever and ever and ever. And there's going to be no more sickness there's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more dying, no more grieving, no more tears. 
No more broken hearts, no more troubles because we're going to be in the presence of God. And praise God. Praise God when we get there, we're all going to have a new body. Can I get an amen for that one? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day and I thought, no more painful shots that are supposed to get rid of your pain. Kind of an oxymoron there, you know. Anyway, um, no, no more sin natures in heaven. I, I'm glad that I'm going to leave mine here. I'm not going to take it into heaven with me. No more sin nature, no more sin, no more temptation, no more consequences of sinful things that we do. And praise God, in heaven, you and I will eternally experience the unspeakable joy that comes from being in the presence of the Lord unspeakable joy that we're going to get to enjoy every day every moment of eternity you know that, that that's a promise that's on the way but I've got even better news it's not just out there in the future praise God it's already begun and you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy that joy we have been justified we are being sanctified and we will be glorified God is at work and he's at work on you and me and and so let's look for a minute at, at what God's busy doing. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, For God made Christ. I, I, I don't like that word made in interpretation. I think it would be better God sent. He had a plan for Jesus. He had a purpose for Jesus coming. God sent Christ or made Christ who never sinned to be the offering. The offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Right now, God is busy making people right with him, and that's a beautiful thing. God is fixing our greatest problem, and no matter what kind of problem you have, sin is your worst problem. Sin is the worst problem we have, and praise God, he makes us right with him. Can, can I get y'all to say, I've been made right with God? Say that with me. I've been made right with God, not because of any good thing you did, but because of what Christ did on the cross. God loves to do that kind of thing, and he loves to make people right, and praise God, he's busy doing that. Well, what does, what does the work of God look like? I think Paul describes it pretty well in Ephesians chapter 1, the focal verse of our sermon this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been, here it is, to adopt us into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gives him or gave him great pleasure. Dr. Jim Phillips says, as followers of Christ, we are a package deal. When I read that, I thought, what in the world does he mean by that? And, you know, when you read one sentence, you have to sometimes have to read more to get the context. But I, I found that as I read more of what he was writing, that he meant we're all together as Christians, those who are true believers we're all bunched up together. We're gathered together. We're all bound up together as the people of God. Monday night, our faith team was out driving. We were trying to find a house, and we were out in the middle of nowhere. 
and we, we, drove, we turned off one, one road onto another road and we were winding our way through and there were fields on both sides we're out in the country and, and all of a sudden this field had just a bunch of deer out there and I made this statement, man, look at that wide of deer out there and James says, wide, what do you mean by that? I said, well, they're all bunched up together. There's so many of them I can't even count them. Kind of hard when you shoot at a wide that you miss, you know, if you can shoot. But anyway, we didn't have a gun, so we didn't shoot any. Not season yet, but probably a good thing we didn't have one. But anyway, as Christians, we are all linked together spiritually, mentally, and physically into the body of Christ. We, have, we need to get that mental picture that we are the body of Christ. We're the church. We're the visible manifestation of God's presence right now here on earth. So when the world looks for God, they're going to look to us, and they should be able to see God in us. Amen? They should. Now, now think about this. Because of that, that, that connection is so real, nothing can ever happen to any of us that doesn't affect or impact all the rest of us. We're a family. We're the family of God. And if something happens to you, it's going to affect me. And if something happens to me, it's going to affect you. Praise God when, you know, I, I hate that Emmett had a wreck this week. Uh, Emmett uh, Alley had an accident and he's in the hospital and he's had two surgeries already. Uh, his accident has affected me. It's affected a lot of you. Some of you were at the hospital with Emmett and Barbara and and so those kind of things affect us but there there's something else that I, I want you to think about you know according to the Apostle Paul even before time and creation began even before God spoke that into existence God already knew what each of us was capable of becoming for his glory and for his honor I, I, when, I, when I thought about it the other day, I thought about Jeremiah. And I, I pretty much, I'm certain that that is what God was teaching young Jeremiah when he spoke these words to a teenage boy. It, it, you know, you know God, can teach, God can speak to teenagers. He does. And sometimes they listen better than we do. But God was speaking to him. And this is what God said to Jeremiah. He's probably 14, 15, 16 years old. God says, I knew you before I formed you. I had a lady tell me one time, you know, the baby I had was in heaven with Jesus before he was in my womb. And I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think that's biblical. And I think she was taking this out of context. We're not eternal in the sense that we've always existed. We have a beginning point. Amen? We do. God's not that way. God has always existed. He always will. But, but God starts us. He creates us. And, and he said about Jeremiah, I knew you. In other words, you were on my planning board. You, you were something that I planned to do before you ever existed. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a spokesman to the world. Not only did I have a plan to create you, but I had a purpose for creating you. I want you to be the spokesman to the world that you live in, Jeremiah. God said that to a teenager. Wow. A teenager. And Jeremiah said back to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. 
I'm too young. I really believe God started calling me into the ministry at 16. I didn't have a clue what to do with that. I didn't come from a Christian home. My father wasn't a, wasn't a, a, a Christian at the time. And he didn't know what to say to me. I struggled with that early. Because I'm thinking, I'm young. I don't know how to do that. I've never seen it done. Well, neither Jeremiah. But God said, I'm calling you to be a spokesman for me. So God said to him, don't say that. For you too must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of people. Isn't that our greatest fear when we start thinking about talking for God? Oh, what are they going to think about me? He's a Jesus freak. <laughs> well, I'd rather be a Jesus freak any day of the week than be dead to God. Yeah. Don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you, the Lord says, and I'll take care of you. He said, I, the Lord, have spoken. And in verse 9, it says, the Lord touched my mouth, and he said to me, see, I have put my words in your mouth. I, I've given you what you need to say. Today, I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. You're to uproot some and tear them down, and and to destroy and overthrow them. You're to build others up and, and plant them. What an overwhelming task for a young teenage boy. You know, God, God has plans for us. And they always involve going and speaking. Building and planning. And I promise you, no matter whatever God, what God calls you to do, it will require sacrifice. But the beautiful thing, on the back end of that sacrifice, there's always rewards. God always blesses, and he makes things uh, wonderful for us if we serve the Lord. Not easy, but the peace and the satisfaction of knowing and serving the Lord surpasses anything that you'll ever do. Dr. Jim Phillips said, like the father of a newborn who stands at the nursery window, our Heavenly Father envisions great plans for us as He looks down from glory upon us. Our spiritual rebirth launches us into the divine plan of the ages, and every single one of us has the Spirit-driven ability to follow God's original plans. We need to remember that because He says, you know, though we stumble at times, do we stumble at times? Yeah. Anybody stumble this week? Probably. Yeah. He says, though we stumble at times, the Father's plans are still in place. And each of us can discover and fulfill those heavenly blueprints. God, my friend, is at work. He has a work he wants to do in and through you. And then collectively, He's even got a greater work that he wants to do through all of us as we come together as the body of Christ. The beautiful thing is no matter who you are, there's great potential that is in you. Great potential. You're going, but I can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can. It's not you that does it. It's God that does it, but you can still do it. God will bless you. But there's even greater potential in us as a body of believers as we come together because uh, the more of us that are working together, the more it gets done for God. We just need to give God our best. I love, I love this verse, John 14, 12. Jesus said, the truth is, and I want you to circle this ne next word, anyone 
Circle that word, anyone. That's you. Put a dot in there. That's you. Anyone who believes in me will do the same work that I have done and even greater work because I'm going to be with the Father. You're going to do, if you're a true believer, what he did, and you can do even greater work than he did. Why? Because he is with the Father. And he's made a way for you to be able to do that work. God's word is clear that everything that you're capable of uh, of becoming or doing it starts and it stops with God everything everything God is our everything and our lives are designed to be built around him we're to put him as the focal point of our life Jesus has left a work for us to do that he began and God has provided the plan and the power to get that work done we're literally just instruments in the hands of God God wants to work through us my friends, God's blessed you for one reason, not just to be blessing you, not because you're something special. He's blessed you to be a blessing to other people. He says in verse 3, how we praise the Father, how we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Now I want you to notice this because some of you are going, well, you know, I haven't got my blessings yet. I'm waiting on my blessings. Well, friends, I want you to notice that he says God has blessed you. Not that God will bless you, but that God has blessed you. So you know what that means? That means the blessings that you need aren't just on the way. You already have those blessings. You've already been blessed. And what's even more important is the fact that God is the divine source of all of your blessings. So whatever you enjoy is a blessing from you know, in your life, give credit to God. God has blessed you. If you got up and put your feet on the ground this morning, that's a blessing from God. If you're breathing, that's a blessing from God. If your heart is beating, that's a blessing from God. If you enjoyed that cup of coffee this morning, that's a blessing from God. How many people in this world didn't get a cup of coffee this morning? Or a piece of toast? Or a bagel? Or whatever you ate for breakfast? How often do we ask God for what he's already given us? You ever thought about that? How often do we say, oh God, I need something from you today. Have you ever went to God and said, God, I need more of your love today. God, I don't feel very loved today. I need some more love. Give me some love, God. Well, Paul says, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I said something, to, I said this to somebody this week. You can't do anything. You can't do things to make God love you more and you can't do anything to make God love you less. God loves you. If you're a child of God, he will never not love you. I don't care how bad you stump your toe or, or what you say or what you do. God's going to love you. God's love is never given to you on a spiritual yo-yo. He doesn't give it and then snatch it back. He gives it and it resides you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 5, 7. Interesting verse. Paul writes and he says, Now no one is likely to die for a good person. Think about that. Would you die for anybody in this room? 
there's a lot of good people in this room. But in the back of our mind, we might think, you know, good people are a dime a dozen. Why, would I, why should I die for you? But we would be willing possibly to die for somebody that means a whole lot to us. Maybe our wife, our husband, our spouse, you know, our children, we might die for them. He goes on to say, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Well, I'm not so sure we'd even do that. You know, people make a lot of rash statements in life. Well, I would die for you. Well, would you? When it came right down to it, would you put your life on the line? Hmm. Look at what God did. Paul says, but God showed his great love for us. He demonstrated that love by sending Christ to die for us while we were what? Still sinners. Still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's judgment. For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. Not only were we sinners, but we were enemies of God. Wow. He said we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. So now we can rejoice and we should rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends with God. I know you know people like I know people. People, <laughs> people write people off every day because they've done something to hurt them. And they vow to never speak to them again. I'm not going to have anything to do with you because you hurt me. It happens all the time. There may be some people in your life that you've just wrote off. But I want you to know God doesn't do what we do. God knew every sin that you were ever going to commit. When he sent his son to go to the cross to die with your sin on him so that your punishment could be put on him so that you could be forgiven and made right with God. God knew everything you were ever going to do. Honestly, you know, how do you love anybody more than that? I, I don't know that you can. God is love. God loves you in spite of who you are, and he's all the love that you're ever going to need. He really is. What we need to do is learn to know him better, get closer to him, build that relationship with him. You know, all the love we need has already been given. Have you ever prayed for God to give you more peace? Your life's just in a turmoil. You're struggling and things just aren't lining up and you just need to rest. Well, friends, if you have Jesus in your heart, you already have all the peace you need. Jesus said when he was getting ready to leave the disciples, he said, I am leaving you with a gift. That was a gift not just for those men that were right there that day, but that's a gift for every believer. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled. The truth is Jesus is our peace. You're never going to have peace without Jesus, but with Jesus you can have peace. You don't need to pray for, pre for peace. You need to just draw closer to the Lord because spiritual intimacy with God produces peace. 
You know, I, the first, uh, first church I, I pastored down in North Carolina, we, we started out in an old uh, garage and we went to a community building and then we wound up in an old Methodist church and the, the only heat in that room was, was two old oil heaters on each side. And if you wanted to get warm in that building, you had to, you had to back up, you know. And you had to constantly turn, though, or you would roast something. So, you know, the key was getting close to that heater, you got warm. We need to get close to the Lord so we can know more about him and experience more of his love and his peace and his grace. Have you ever been depressed and prayed for happiness and joy? Anybody need a little bit of that this week? You know, you can't buy it at the drugstore. Walmart doesn't sell it. Jesus said, I told you that I told you these things so that you can have the same joy that I have and so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Friends, Jesus, if you can't get joy with Jesus, you're not going to find it anywhere. And how about strength? Have you ever prayed, God, give me the strength to deal with all this mess that I'm having to deal with? Well, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. Read the context of that statement. He's saying no matter what I've gone through, I'm getting through it all. Why? Because of Christ, because he gives me strength. And here's the key verse to all of what I've just said. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. First five words, he says, as we know Jesus better. As we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for the for living the godly life, he has called us to receive his own glory and goodness. And by the same mighty power, he has given us all, all of his riches and wonderful promises. There are some things, my friend, that we just don't need to pray about because we already have them. We've already experienced them. They're there. Our resources that are in God are not simply promised. They're possessed. They're ours. You've already been given everything that you need. I, I read this in a commentary this week, uh, and it was some words by John MacArthur. He says it well. He says, God cannot give us more than he has already given us in his son. There's nothing more to receive. The believer's need, therefore, is not to receive something more, but to do something more with what we already have. Well said, John. You see, God wants you to take your blessings and not use them on yourself, but use them to help somebody else, bless somebody else. And I, I really believe you can do that, but for you to do that, you have to understand how you've been blessed. And you have to realize that every blessing that you have is directly connected to Jesus Christ. Why, why do I get up and preach Jesus every week? It's because without Jesus, you're not going to enjoy those blessings. You're going to suffer through life. You're going to struggle through life. But in Jesus, you have everything you need. Everything. J. Vernon McGee said it so well. If, how many of you ever heard J. Vernon McGee on the radio? Or, you know, uh, for us older folks, we've, we've listened to J. And by the way, even though he's dead, he's still on the radio. And you ought to tune into him. He's got some great stuff to say. But listen to what he says. This will cause you to really think. He said, if you're going to heaven, and that's a great statement, if you're going to heaven, 
Some of you in this room are going. Some may be not going. Some of you don't know whether you're going or not. But if you're going to heaven, he said, you're already there in Christ. Oh, well, how's that possible? He says he had blessed you in the heavenlies in Christ, and you are there regardless of what position you're in down here. Your practice down here may not be good, but if you're a child of God, you're already in Christ. He says the fact of the matter is you're, you uh, are in the heavenlies in Christ even though you're down in the dumps. Great statement. You may be struggling. It may have been a hard week for you. There may be some things you're having to deal with that you really not have to deal with. But he says, even though that's true, you're in Christ. You're in the heavenlies with the Lord. In spirit, yes. Yes. Everyone who is in Christ is seated in the heavenlies in him. That is a position which he's already given to us. Now, according to Ephesians chapter 1, what Paul has said is that you've already been abundantly blessed. You've already been loved unconditionally You've already been adopted into the family of God and you have been chosen in Christ. That ought to cause us to rejoice and to praise God. Friends, everything that God wants for you comes by way of Jesus Christ. And I I challenge you to do this if you've never done it. Take your Bible when you get home and get alone by yourself and get you a pen or a marker and read Ephesians chapter 1. Every new Christian should do that. It's an exercise that you ought to participate in. Read Ephesians 1. Why? Because depending on the translation that you have, you're going to find out that it says that those blessings that God has given us, they come in Christ, in Christ, through Christ, by way of Christ. At least 10 or 11 times, Paul tells us that our blessings come by way of Jesus Christ. Well, (laughs) didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus say, if you want to know God, put your life in me, trust me, and you can know the Father? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. But through Jesus, anybody and everybody could come if they just would want to. Because of what Jesus has done for you, God believes in you. Do you need somebody to believe in you? Do you you need somebody to to encourage you and say, hey, you're a special person. There's something good about you. Well, God does that. He believes in you. He's at work in you. And in Christ, you're wonderfully blessed and you're highly favored. Now, why does God do that? Why does God bless us? Well, let me give you two reasons. First, God blesses you so that through him blessing you, he can bring glory to himself. He didn't bless you to puff your head up, to make you feel good. Although that, you know, he will certainly encourage us through his blessings. But the blessings he gives us is to bring glory to God. And he deserves our glory. But then he also blesses us so that we can take the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ to others who desperately need to know him. God has blessed you with what you have so that others can benefit from those blessings. I shared with you last week and maybe even the week before, I I said that the great commission that we've been given that comes from Christ is mentioned in the New Testament at least five times. 
Four times in the gospel, one in each of the gospels, but then also in the book of Acts. And it, it, it mentions in the gospel or in the, the great commission that there are three things that Jesus is asking us to do. Three things that literally, I would say, commands us to do. He wants us to reach out to our lost world by going to where people live, where people stay, where people work, where they recreate. In other words, wherever people congregate, that is where the Lord wants us to go. And he wants us to be going to them because why? They're not coming to us. I said it the other day, 10, 12, 15,000 people drive by this church almost every day. And they're not pulling in here by the masses. Why? Because that's the nature of man. They're not going to come. We've got to go to them. He also wants us to baptize every new believer who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because by baptizing them, they are identifying with the Lord as being their Lord and Savior. He also wants us to teach these new disciples how to study and understand the Word of God. You know, what I found as a pastor is that most of us do not know how to sit down, open up the Bible, and read it and study it and understand it. The more I'm around people, and, and, and I remember the day when I was this way. I carried a Bible not because of its content, but because I thought it was like a rabbit's foot. I thought if I carry God's Word, God's going to protect me and bless me. But folks, you, you don't get the benefit of what God wants to give you by just owning a Bible. you got to open it up and read it, but most people don't know how to do it. It's our job to teach you how to do that. That's why Sunday school and Bible studies are so important. We need to be able to understand the Word of God so that we can grow in Christ. Now, if you take that passage of Scripture and you begin to break it down and you look at it, what you're going to find is that there's only one word missing in there. Actually, there's two, but... The one I want to talk about first is the word evangelism. Whenever I say the word evangelism, we get cold chills and we start sweating and our hands, our palms get, get wet. And, you know, because that's a scary word, isn't it? Evangelism. That word is not in any of the Great Commission passages. It's like the word Trinity. Trinity is a word that's not found in your Bible anywhere. But it's clearly mentioned and it's described in several places in Scripture. You know, the existence of the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity is, is mentioned in the most notable passage containing the Great Commission. It's mentioned in Matthew 28. But when you look at that passage, you're going to find that neither word is spoken, although they're mentioned, and, and, and even though they're not said or verbally written, they are front and center. That, that, that's the main subject of, of, of all of those great commission passages. Matthew 28 says, therefore, go and make disciples. That is evangelism in its purest form. Go and make disciples. He didn't say go make Christians. He said go make disciples because we are to lead people to Christ and disciple them so they in turn can help us make other disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That, that's the Trinity. 
Jesus clearly mentions here the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they all work to do what God is planning to do. And making disciples is certainly synonymous with evangelism. Dr. Tony Evans writes that evangelism is the process of sharing the good news of Christ's substitutionary death and resurrection and his free offer of forgiveness of sin for sin and, and eternal life to all who come to him to receive it. Evangelism is done with the clear intent of bringing the hearer to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. People must be born from above into the kingdom before they can be developed into disciples of the kingdom. Man, there's so much right there. But I want you to listen to this last sentence that he writes. He says, the church then must challenge and encourage and equip its members to effectively share their faith with unbelievers. That is the work of the church. Why do I preach it every week? Because that is what we're supposed to be doing. I mentioned just the other day, evangelism is simply the ministry of reconciling the world. And that's the task that, that Christ gave us to do. It's the task of helping others to come back into a right relationship with God. Now you think about it. Who's responsible for that task? <laughs> Charles Stanley writes that in many instances, evangelism is viewed as a church-sponsored activity. Now, if you stop right there, you can say, well, evangelism is about as important as uh, uh, playing volleyball at the church or having a social or something that we do, you know, that really is just not we could think that, but he goes on to say, in many instances, evangelism is viewed as a church-sponsored activity that must be directed by the church leadership. Oh, well, you could, you could misread that as well. I, I've been told through the years, 30 years of being a pastor, several times I've been told, well, preacher, that's what we pay you to do. Really? I don't think so. I praise God that Harvest isn't that kind of church. You know better. And you're growing in your understanding and in your participation. You're growing as your, your desire is growing to be a great commissioned church. You may not understand all of that yet. And you may not be fully engaged with all of that. But I thank God for where you are. And I know that we're going to get closer and closer to doing what God wants us to do. Stanley goes on to say, certainly the church is Christ's body of believers and is responsible to proclaim Jesus' gift of salvation to the world. So it is the, church's, the church leadership responsibility to lead and teach Christians, Christians to be effective, to effectively share their Guys, that's what we do every year. That's been part of our strategy now for the last 18 years. In fact, we even participated in evangelistic training before we ever had our first worship service. 
We were a part of doing faith when we were at Nansman River. It was training grounds. It was helping us to be focused on the right thing. We, uh, we come together on Monday nights. Twice a year we do two semesters. They're about 12 weeks. And, and we come together and we teach people how to share Christ. We, we, we do one semester in the spring and one semester in the fall. We're actually going to begin this on Monday night, tomorrow night. Imagine that. I just happened to bring that up. It just happened to coincide with my sermon, right? <laughs> I planned it that way, okay? <laughs> I'm being honest. You know, it, it's important, and, 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 and Brother Bill's not here today. He's out of town, but we, we want to invite you guys to come be a part of what we do on Monday nights. It only lasts 12 weeks, and, and, and I promise you it's not painful. We won't hurt you. Uh, we'll protect you. We'll equip you. It's important to be equipped. In our day and time, it's, you look, parents, you're not going to go buy your 16-year-old a car and give them car keys without a little bit of training, right? Can I hear amen? <laughs> if, if you would, shame on you. You're not going to do that. You can't go fly an airplane without being trained to be a pilot. Effective sharing of the gospel requires that you be trained. And that's what we do. That's what we do. Stanley says, and he says it rightly, instruction on this level is not usually enduring unless there's inner transformation in the life of the believer. And not unless he or she understands the urgency and the importance of the call. Some of you are going, man, I'll be glad when you get done today, preacher. Well, let me ask you this. Where would you be if somebody had not taken the time to sit down with the word of God and lead you to Jesus Christ? Where would you be? Hmm. We all know people who if somebody would just sit down and tell them about Jesus, they'd get saved. I was with Paula Hicks and her mom and dad the other day. and The gospel was shared. And, and her dad said you know, to all of us, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, I'm so glad you asked that question. And I, I, I didn't open a Bible. I just, in my mind, because it's memorized, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I, I quoted that to him, and I said, what God wants you to do, he wants you to trust his son and invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. I said, are you willing to do that? He said, yeah. It was just that simple. It was easy. There are people that are white unto harvest, as the Lord puts it, who are ready to be saved. God's been preparing them all their life. For somebody to just come and harvest their soul for the Lord. They're out there. And you and I as Christians, we're, we're the representatives of Christ. And, and it's our privilege and our responsibility to share the story of Christ with the lost people who are literally dying and headed to hell. There's no greater work than leading somebody to Jesus Christ. And anybody in this room can do it. You can do it. We all can do it. Look, look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, telling the good news does not give me any reason to brag. I'm not up here 
patting myself on the back and saying, Randy, you're a good guy. Look at what you do. No, that's what Paul is saying here. That's not, we're not, we don't have any reason to brag. He says, telling the good news is my duty. It's something that I must do. And how terrible it would be for me if I do not tell the good news. Got a lot of smart people in this room. What if one of you discovered a cure that would cure all cancer? What if one of you came up with that discovery? And you knew you could make a lot of people's lives a whole lot better, but you said, no, I'm going to lock it away in a safe and I'm going to keep it to myself. Folks, that'd be a crime. That'd be a tragedy. That would be a terrible thing. Listen, cancer is one of the most, if not the most, destructive disease that mankind has ever had to deal with. Most everybody in this room has been affected by some form of cancer. Either you've had it or your friends have it, your parents have it, your kids have it. You know, and, and, and truth is, before you die, some of you will have cancer. Some of you may die from cancer. I don't know what your fate holds. But this one thing I do know, based on the word of God, everybody in this room and everybody in this world has been infected by sin. I know that. And in fact, it has already rendered all of us spiritually dead to God. And I also know that there will never be a man-made cure for sin. From a human perspective, sin is incurable. You can't fix it and I can't fix it. But praise God, what is impossible for man is possible with God. According to the word of God, Jesus is God's cure for our sin. There's no sin that Jesus can fix and can't forgive. He's a great physician. And if you know him. Listen. The, the best thing that you could ever do. Is gather up your lost friends. And take them to meet Jesus. What a privilege to be able to do that. To lead someone who's lost to Christ. I, I had a dear friend. He's deceased now. He, in fact he died earlier this year. A guy by the name of Gary Farmer. Gary was a simple man. He was a mechanic. He owned his own little shop. He was what we would call today a shade tree mechanic. And he worked out a lot of times under the shade tree fixing people's cars. But Gary had had several accidents and there were, you know, in his younger days he did a lot of stupid things that we don't do. He rode dirt bikes. He raced cars. He wrecked cars. He wrecked dirt bikes. He, he was broken up. His back was a mess. And Gary, for years, would go to North Carolina over to uh, Pitt Memorial, a, a great school, a, you know, a teaching school. And, and every doctor he said, uh, saw would say to him, we, we can't do anything for you, Gary, except manage your pain. Manage your pain. Your, your problem is incurable. I know for three years, because I went with him. I drove him over there some. I know for three years they kept saying, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. You're just going to have to live with your pain. 
Well, one day somebody walked into Gary's shop to get a car fixed. And they got in a conversation. They saw Gary limping. They said, man, what's wrong with you? And he told them. And he said, well, look, I, I know about a doctor at Norfolk General who can probably fix your problem. And he wrote the guy's name down. And Gary got a number. And he called the guy. And he said, I, I need to make an appointment. He called and, you know, didn't talk to the doctor. But he talked to the people in the office. And they made an appointment. He went in. They did some tests. They evaluated the situation, went in for an exam. And the doctor looked at Gary and said, well, you know, I've probably done a thousand surgeries on people who have the same problem you have. We can fix this. We can fix it. And I was in the room the day that that doctor came in right before the surgery. It was amazing because the guy was a little guy. He, he was only about that tall. He literally pulled up a stool next to the gurney and stood on that and he took Gary by the hand and he had a beard and he already had his cap on and he said can I pray for you the doctor said that and the doctor took Gary by the hand and he bowed his head and he prayed for God to give him skill to be able to do the surgery and he prayed for Gary's healing and praise God when the surgery was complete Gary's back, they took, off, they took 300 spurs off his spine. He had some permanent nerve damage, but the problems that he had were gone. All because somebody knew about this doctor and all because somebody was willing to say, hey, Gary, this guy can fix your problem. I, you know, praise God for the man who introduced Gary to the doctor and praise God for a Christian doctor. Now, I've thought about this. Some of you, you know, I mentioned I, I'm having some back problems. And I thought about, you know, but there's, there's only one sad note in this story. You know, when, when I met this doctor, I was much younger and, and I had a much better back than I got today. And, and, and all that's changed now. And what's even worse for me is that that doctor is no longer alive either. Not only has Gary passed away, but this doctor has passed away and he's with Jesus. Well, that's bad news for me. That may be bad news for people like Eddie and some of the rest of you who have back, back problems. It's good news for the doctor because he's with Jesus, right? It's good news for him. Well, here's some good news for you. Even though the doctor's dead, the great physician's still alive. Jesus is alive and well. And the sin-dead people that are in this world living around you and me, they still need to meet him. And they can. They can. You see, they just need a friend like you to introduce them to Jesus. Think about that. You can love them to Christ by being their friend. Engage them. Build a relationship with them. Let them see Christ in you. You can learn how to share the story of Christ. We can teach you how to do that. You can bring your friends and neighbors to church with you on Sunday. You can invite them to come. We got plenty of seats. We got parking. But you got to do something. You can't do nothing. It's a crime to sit back and do nothing. Charles Stanley says, true friends don't allow fear and apathy to quench the fire of the gospel within you. Proclaim the Savior's love to others through whatever opportunity that the Father will give you. What a powerful statement. 
My question to you is this. Will you be somebody's friend? Will you love them to Christ? Will you do whatever it takes to help them come to know him? Will you? I want you to do something. I've already done it because I didn't want to take time to do it up here. You got a bulletin. Everybody got a bulletin. If you got a bulletin, hold it up. Some of you are going, well, I, I, yeah. There's sermon notes in that bulletin, by the way. <laughs> I want you to take that sermon note. I know you know somebody that needs to come to Christ. Amen? I know you do. I want you to write their name. I, I've already written the name of three people. Three people on the bottom of my last page of my sermon notes. A husband and a wife, and then another man. I'll tell you that two of the people that I'm praying for to get saved are not here this morning. One of them's never been here. One of them has been here. And the other, other person I'm praying for is, is, is hearing me speak right now. What do you want me to do, Pastor? I want you to write the, the name of your lost friend on the bottom of your paper in that note somewhere. And I want you to pray for their soul. I want you to pray that God will save your friend or your neighbor. Or your family. Maybe it's your child. Maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Somebody that you work with. If you write their name down and you'll be intentional about praying for them. And you'll pray for yourself and ask God, God, what do I need to do to help them come to know Jesus? I promise you, he will give you a way to see them come to know Christ. But you have to be obedient. You see, the work of God involves us going, it involves us speaking, it involves us planting, it involves us being busy in their life, building relationships. And it's not without sacrifice. It's not. Sometimes there are things that I want to do, and I make plans to do them, but then God changes my plans. And I, I'm honest. At least in this, you know, I, I, I'm telling you there are times that I've made plans and I want to do certain things and God says, no, I want you to go do this. I grumble a little bit. But there's a reason why God puts a name on our heart. There's a reason why God brings somebody to our remembrance and we don't need to just think about them and let it go away and escape our mind. If he puts a name on our heart, then there's a reason. And we need to pray about that person. Pray for that person. And ask God, what do you want me to do? What's going on in their life? How can I help them, God? How can I be that instrument that you want to use? God has blessed you to be a blessing. Don't put it away in a safe and hide it. Take that blessing out and use it for somebody else's good. Write that name down. Pray for those people. Help them to come to know Christ. I've told you over and over again, if you'll bring them, I'll tell them about Jesus. I'll make an appointment. We'll sit down and we'll talk. It's a crime to know how to lead people to Jesus. And then see people 
marching into hell. God help us. Will you commit yourself to being a great commissioned Christian? Well, well, Pastor, what does that involve? I, I think it involves a personal commitment where you talk to God about that. Yeah, that may involve you coming down here and saying on your knees. I, I, I made a promise to God about something here about two weeks ago. And then it wasn't long before the devil tempted me to break that promise. But God reminded me of my promise. And I said, yes, Lord, I remember I made that. The Bible says you're a fool if you promise and you don't keep it. But we need, we need to draw close to the Lord and be everything God wants us to be because somebody needs you to help them. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, it's a challenging message even for me and I had to think about everything that I preached and I had to be willing to do it myself before I would ever ask our people to do it but Lord you've you put it on my heart to be more faithful in sharing the gospel and helping people come to know you our church has been strategically placed in a very unique place so that we can impact our world for Christ we've been given land we've been given a building we've been given so many blessings and you have blessed us lord to be a blessing to others and there are people that are driving by us they'll never drive in we've got to go to them and we've got to reach out and we've got to speak and share and love and encourage them to come to know you father help us to be serious about the work you've called us to do because god you're at work in us and even today, you're reshaping our thinking and you're, you're, you're stretching us and causing us to think about committing ourselves in a way we've never been committed before. Lord, help us. Help us to make a difference in the world we live. Father, I praise you for the opportunity we have. I thank you for your goodness and your calling. In Jesus' name. Amen.